We often hear branding as a term thrown around quite loosely with little backing to it. Today's guest is the author of Primal Branding, and he is going to share his framework for what this word actually means. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited today because we are speaking with somebody who can really shed some light on what the word branding and the activity of branding really means when you get down to it. He is the author of Primal Branding. His name is Patrick Hanlon, and he's also the founder of Thinktopia. But getting back to this, I sometimes have the feeling when someone says the word branding, like I'm playing like buzzword bingo. I also, well, hold on. I'm just going to play this for you, and it pretty much captures how I think. He didn't fall! Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah, so Nigo Montoya captures it perfectly. People say the word branding quite a bit, and I'm always in the back of my head, I don't think that means what you think it means. Uh, I'm excited because we're about to dig into exactly what branding means to Patrick. So here we go. Thanks for joining us. And I'm here with Patrick Hanlon, the CEO of Thinktopia and the author of Primal Branding. Patrick, how's it going, man? Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, George. Yeah, Appreciate yeah. I'm, look, I'm very excited to have you on because we're going to talk about branding and some elements that can apply to nonprofits. I love your framework and approach. But first, I feel like I'm maybe selling you a bit short because you know you've you've done work with like Fortune 100 uh, clients like Amex, but also in the nonprofit sector. You know you've worked with folks like uh, little known foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Can you fill us in a little bit more, uh, you know, about your background and maybe work specific in our sector? Sure. Uh, yes, I've always worked in in the so-called nonprofit sector. And uh, even when I was writing Super Bowl ads for, for advertising, and the Bill and Melinda Gates piece was especially interesting because it was a, a triad of uh, at Radical Media, production company there, and Michael Franzini, who is the director there, and um, MTV and Thinktopia, and we were put together to try to help keep. Um, African-American kids and Hispanic kids in high school because 49, the, the figure at that time, uh, this was about, well, more than 10, more than 10 years ago now, but uh, it, 49% of them dropped out of high school. And so you can imagine the uh, economic, health, educational um, metrics that go along with that. And we uh, were lucky enough to get on Oprah and uh, Bill and Melinda Gates were on Oprah, and Oprah held up one of my, one of the things that I wrote. So that was fascinating. That transitioned. Uh, the person from MTV, uh, uh, Tessie Topol, moved over to Time Warner Cable, and we worked with her there on uh, something that uh, called STEM at the time, <laughs> and still called STEM, but people didn't know about it at the time, and so. They worked, Time Warner Cable worked very uh, closely with the White House, and they became the White House's um, privately funded initiative um, 
to help um, encourage uh, the teaching of science, technology, engineering, and math in the country. And actually, when uh, President Obama uh, a couple years ago started talking about science, technology, and engineering, and math, um, sorry, it's hard to get that out sometimes, uh, he got his figures from uh, Time Warner. The staff got the figures from Time Warner because they'd captured all that. So, um, yeah, lots of fun working on things like that. A very serious uh, subject sometimes, but very powerful and very uh, impactful. Yeah, certainly. So, obviously, there's two different entities here. One is Thinktopia, and uh, the other is is the book Primal Branding, which I'm particularly curious about. What was the impetus behind? The idea behind, you know, the, the framework you applied to to branding. Sure. Uh, basically, I wrote uh, advertising, and every time you, most people probably don't know this, but every time you, before you come up with an ad, they give you what they call a creative brief, which basically tells you what you're supposed to communicate. And in between the lines on most of those uh, briefs, um, they either wanted you to become, if you read in between the lines, they either wanted you to become the next Nike or the next Apple 1984 spot, kind of create that for them. And of course that's said with a lot of, uh, cynicism, <laughs> I guess, and a little bit of snark, but, uh, also with a lot of experience. And I w- had a problem with a client at a time at the time. And, um, I was wrestling with a problem with a client and, Right today we'd call it the problem would be authenticity that weren't being authentic and but I, at that time I just felt that something was wrong and so um, and the client was Lego and something was wrong they were going out of business and but no one knew that at the time and so the I started thinking about why do we think uh, or yeah, think something good things about some people's products or companies or services uh, and not about others. And so I started thinking about, you know, the typical marketing kinds of things like quality and trust and I guess vision, things like that. And but what it really got down to is that we believe in them. And so I started looking at that cliche called belief system and discovered that there actually is a system behind belief. Um, the creation story, creed, icons, uh, rituals, uh, a special lexicon, non-believers, and uh, leader. And once you wrap all of that together, you have a constellation of parts that not only directs or helps you differentiate, uh, because each one of those is a differentiator, or can become a differentiator, and, but you have a constellation of parts that lead to what we call a strategic brand narrative, and that is what you need in today's world to not only distinguish yourself, but really, um, of course, once you uh, create a belief system, you attract others who share your beliefs, and that's what we need. And that helps build community around you, whether it's two people or two billion people. Yeah, that's... and you definitely need it in social media. So yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the noisier the system is, uh, the clearer obviously your signal needs to be. Getting back to the jump, it seemed like you were realizing that the client had a deeper problem, and it was that bridge that a brand is actually a belief system. And when you're talking about a belief system, then we can begin to dissect it a bit more. You know, you were rattling through some of those elements, but just to list them out, you know, you're talking about a creation story, you're talking about a creed, icons, rituals, which you call pagans and the the believers, not believers, the sacred words and and leader, Uh, a lot of elements. Do you need 
all seven equally, or are there kind of like a pick and choose them? Well, you need uh, to be a powerful brand, a Nike, Apple, Starbucks, uh, Trump, Obama. You need all seven of them. I mean, you have all seven of them. That's how you become those entities. Uh, do you really need them? No, you can be in a low interest category, um, like a, tires or mattresses, and ha- get away with one, like tires, uh, the Michelin Man, I guess, right? Or the Blimp. So you have one. <laughs> <laughs> and icons, right? And so, uh, but I think that if someone else came along who had purpose, who had a little bit more going for them, a, a larger story, uh, a better story, a more impactful story uh, that resonated with people, uh, Michelin and Goodyear could find themselves uh, disrupted. Uh, and, and I guess you, uh, thinking about mattresses for a second, you know, Casper mattresses has come in, and that's a category that's low interest. You don't even call a, a mattress a mattress when you get it; it becomes your bed, right? And so, uh, Casper mattress. Now, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're making great strides of uh, making great inroads in that category just be, by having um, a better story, bigger yeah. story. Yeah, absolutely. So. I'm actually a, I'm actually a, a tuft and needle guy, so. Um... You know, I felt like Mm -hmm. Casper was too popular, so I went the other way. But this is interesting, right? We're talking about products, but I'm, let's say, an executive of uh, a mid-sized nonprofit. And, you know, one thing I have in spades is a creation story. Like, it is great. It's bold. Somebody survived a thing, and it's inspiring. How do I then build that into a, a belief system? Like, what is the next step? How do you go about thinking about this? And what is the difference? Sure. And what is the difference between when we talk about a mattress and when we talk about a not-for-profit social movement? Well, the thing that pulls them both together is that you have community. That's what you want. That's what you need is to have a community. Um, you can't be just one person trying to do this. You need to have the the networks of other people. That's what makes us stronger and more impactful. And so, what you're trying to do, um, whether it's two people or, you know, many, many more, uh, you're trying to take that community, drive that community, uh, create networks around that community so you can create even an even larger community. And so if you have a great creation story in most, uh, or I would say a lot of nonprofits do have that one visionary person who either had the, the vision or the capital uh, to want to do something and make something better, right? And so... Uh, you take use that as kind of the nucleus, and they probably wanted to do it for a reason, so that would draw, bring along your creed. The creation story, once we know where you're from, we want to know what you're about. And so that would be the creed. In, um, in products and services, it would be like uh, think different for Apple or just do it for Nike, for example, you know, which, you know, get come down to the theme lines sometimes, but internally... Um, there might be something else going on. And by the way, there is an external um, community and there's, of course, the internal community. Usually we, uh, in marketing, a lot of the times we talk about that external community because that's your consumers, your users, uh, and, and so forth. But there's also the community inside, especially in nonprofits. And because if you don't believe in what you're doing, you're certainly not going to get anyone else to believe, right? And so that internal community is so so necessary and so important. But once we know where you're from and you tell us what you're about, we have to be able to identify you. Uh, this is where 
the issue of brand has been traditionally where you think of the brand as being the Nike swoosh or even the Nike shoe. Um, so it's the product or the logo and probably these days the website, but it's so much more. And the, uh, the icons are really those quick concentrations of meaning that signal your brand. Uh, they might for Apple, for example, it might be the earbuds, you know, that they're Nike or excuse me, Apple earbuds and, and not beats which are also Apple. Yeah, which, <laughs> and they bought that by the, by the way, because but they were the, <laughs> Yeah, by the way, have become an Apple product. But, um, or you see someone walking down the street or across the street with a Starbucks cup and you're looking for a Starbucks, Starbucks, you ask them because they're part of the tribe, right? More than once I've gone up to someone and asked, hey, where'd you get that? Just to find out where the local Starbucks is and when I'm out of town. And... So icons uh, engage all uh, the senses, sight, sound, but they're, smell, they're public taste, facing, right? So they're they're social they're, proofing in yep. some ways, and, and they're well, they're public facing and they're and they're internal facing as well, uh, yeah. and, and sometimes they're both. But um, I was just at speaking at Heifer International down in uh, Little Rock uh, last week, and they have a great uh, facility down there that's you know leads um, awarded. And uh, that building is an icon, right? And the fact that it's lead, yeah. um, you know, is just adds to their reason for being, right? And they had uh, a, a garden and goats and all this other stuff surrounding it. And, they actually you know, had goats fantastic. out there? And it, they had the goats wandering yeah. around the campus. All right, that's good. Not, ra- not wandering around. They were in a shed. They were, oh, okay. Actually, they had, <laughs> they, actually, the goat had just given birth. Oh, wow. <laughs> but the... Uh, but, you know, that uh, all adds to their reason for being and, and reinforces their reason for being because they give away goats and cows and so forth uh, to disadvantaged people. So, sure. um, or people who might be struggling at some level. And so icons. And then we, icons and rituals go closely together, you know, in this in Heifer's case, the giving of the goats would be a ritual. Um, meetings are a ritual. This podcast is a ritual, and we have certain expectations uh, that need to be met for each one. You know, and annual giving drives are rituals. And I always say, if you want a good ritual, uh, get a hug. If you want a bad ritual, uh, call Comcast. <laughs> and so and, let me actually take a step here yeah. and when we talk about rituals it seems like you're referring to both uh pre-existing rituals such as giving gifts around the holidays or putting toothpaste on my toothbrush uh versus ones that we completely create um in the in the case of heifer you know obviously given giving the goat in that moment um how do you distinguish between the two am i trying to use both is it easier to jump on something established or sort of pave your own way uh, that's a great question and a very interesting one because in terms of ritual, uh, another word for ritual might be process or methodologies. And so in, a ca- in any given category, um, there, are, there may be some processes or rituals that are, are standard, that become standard within that category. Uh, for example, if you're making car, building cars for Americans, you put the steering wheel on the left-hand side so that their ritual of driving <laughs> can take place, right? If you're in England, you're, you're on, you put the steering wheel on the right-hand side. So that is sort of a um, – because that fits into that ca- our category. 
uh, of expectations. So there are certain, like as I mentioned earlier, there are certain expectations that um, need to be may, may need to be met within a particular category. But um, more recently, uh, a lot of our rituals have been disrupted. Uh, like Uber has, uh, well, Starbucks has disrupted uh, or did disrupt how we had coffee in the morning, right? We used to have it at home. Now we have it at Starbucks or a place like Starbucks, or some of us have got, returned home uh, with our K-Cups or something. The, uh, the ritual of grabbing a cab in San Francisco is hugely disrupted by Uber and Lyft, right? And, and there are, we, our smartphones, our iPhones or, or droids or whatever have hugely disrupted lots of rituals from looking at your calendar to messaging. Yeah, it's interesting because in the not-for-profit sector, I'm of two minds. Like one is that it is very difficult to have a cold start. It's very difficult. Someone saying like, yeah, sure, obviously I want to build a community. And you're, you're talking about brands that are like, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, but when you're trying to find that initial spark, you know, I, I look back to like, all right, am I jumping in on Giving Tuesday Am I trying to figure out the way, for example, like UNICEF did jumping onto the uh, giving opportunity around Halloween and they have the little, you know, little Halloween boxes that they can give the kids to go raise to the Salvation Army bell ringing during the holidays. And like you hear that bell and you're like, all right, there's my Salvo Santa. Um, I'm like, I'm perfect, of the mindset, it's easy, right? it's yep. easier to jump onto something pre-existing and add your own <laughs> flavor rather than like, all right. Let's create our own Movember, as awesome as that is, and it's established and like many, many men will embarrass themselves in the name of prostate cancer this November. But that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's like lightning in a bottle. Am I, is my instinct off here? What are your thoughts? Well, I think that those examples that you've given are all new examples, largely new examples of, you know, of ways that we, um, that organizations have tried to make the ritual of giving um, do it in a new way. And so the, and uh, I was thinking as you were talking about the, the whole ice bucket thing we had on social media last year or the year before, and, um, what, a a a news flash that was for everyone. Right. And so I think that a lot of, um, institutions, organizations are trying to become self-sustaining and, and in order to do that, we have to get people's attention, attract awareness, and um, lift our name up so that people recognize us and, and what we stand for. And so, so that gets into a bit of the, the old um, advertising bucket, right, and PR bucket, and, which, is, which is important. And because I think most organizations do need to be uh, self-sustaining. Yeah, of course. Uh, and I want to take a step back to the words creed. When you talk about it, are we talking about a tagline? Are we talking about, you know, that list of beliefs? Uh, what is that? We're talking about, yeah, we're talking about your reason for being. Uh-huh. And hopefully it's differentiated from everyone else's reason for being. Um, but it's really, it can be, it's been categorized and so many are described in so many ways, but uh, the one that works for me is it's the reason why you get up in the morning and go to work or go yeah. back in. And then because, it seems like that's balanced with also the, the tagline element. Once you've got the raw ingredients of why, like my purpose, vision, mission, then I sort of synthesize that into the, like the quick takeaway that I remember. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and a lot of times, especially for companies like Apple and Nike and so forth, those things have been uh, whittled down or distilled by you know incredible copywriters and uh, who've worked deliberately to hone that thing down. We don't have that same freedom unless we get incredibly lucky at most organizations, right? We're yeah. kind of doing it ourselves, you know, uh, sitting in front of the TV with the kids. But a lot of times... Uh, you can have that spark of inspiration. You can find the right partners. And by the way, those partners are part of the community that you're building. So finding those right partners to do the right thing for you is a part of your, a part of one of, one of the advantages you can drive home uh, just by having your story together. Because once you're able to tell someone, okay, here's where this, uh, assuming you're new, here's why we're doing it. Here's what this is. Here's how it starts, where the idea comes from. Uh, here's why we're different. Um, here's what represents us, whether it's a logo or the new website or whatever. And um, here's what we're trying to do. Here's the way we act and, um, and behave. Here's what we're not and never want to become. Here's the language that we're using to describe what we're up to. And here's the team that's leading it. You've just very colloquially been, been able to conversationalize um, everything that we've been talking about and driving that now deeper into kind of your elevator speech and then into maybe even just one word. Um, yeah. The so it's interesting because I was actually about to go to that. The, the, the sort of modern day um, Saatchi and Saatchi one word brand, right? That like you pay Saatchi and Saatchi all of your dollars and they come back to you with like from on high the golden word that you will then repeat, repeat, repeat in their ear to, to get you there. If I were to say not-for-profits struggle in one area more than others, I would say it's in this creed section. And I would say it's in this creed section that, um, you know, nonprofits have missions that, like, go on for, like, two, three, four sentences. You know, like, we're going to change the landscape for low-income people in this district of, you know, and it continues. So, what is your advice or what is your approach on how we get back to the synthesis of that? Yes, well, that's where you become like a coach or psychologist because you have <laughs> to tell them that they're not alone. Uh, the same thing happens inside the hallways of most, uh, most corporations. And, and that's really, that really is the challenge because uh, what you're trying to do is to get to that essential truth that makes you both makes you different, differentiates you, but also illuminates what you're all about and what you're trying to do. And so that's tough. You know, <laughs> there's science, there's science to that. There's yeah. art to that. Uh, there's analytics that go along with that. Right. And so uh, it's no easy chore. Yeah. And uh, lots of uh, companies, uh, whether they're on the shelf or online, or uh, face that same challenge. Uh, and even people face that challenge. Cities t face that challenge, and certainly things face that same challenge. So what you're trying to do then is to part of it maybe just to find something that 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 thing that way that you're trying to create impact or trying to help. Um, maybe that is the thing that's substantially different and you're coming at it from a different POV and, um, sorry, either, what does POV mean? Uh, point of view, either tactically or, uh, just your mission or the way that you're executing. Um, Paul Pollack, um, talks about 
how he was helping farmers in Nepal just to grow, you know, more cauliflower or potatoes. And he used a, a drip system that he that was made out of, you know, <laughs> post-it notes and stuff. But and it did not cost a million dollars, but it was just very, uh, very simple. Um, but he was able to do that. So it was a different, he used, just used engineering, his own engineering skills and the technologies at hand um, to create something that would still be here when he yeah. left. Yeah, so, you know, I think to come back to why why shorter is better and some of the analytics, I mean, it's a fundamental, immutable truth about the human memory that uh, there's decay. Memory decay happens. We have, you know, literally seven-digit phone numbers because they tested it and they realized that. And when you add that eighth, that's the cliff in terms of what we forget. Of course, no one has to remember phone numbers anymore. But the shorter it is in terms of how people are associating you in their memory and the rituals they associate you with, uh, it's more likely that you'll you'll come up when the buying decision or moment happens. Is that a fair summary of the the reasoning here? Well, I think the thing is is um, is both attention and awareness, and our attention spans have shrunk <laughs> uh, to uh, uh, to nano size, and we're also deluged by you know, a million different impressions every day yeah, or so it seems. Right. And uh, I don't know if anyone could put, I, I think there probably are some uh, factoids around that, but the, and so how to break through that and how people pay attention is, um, you know, totally up for grabs. But so that's why you need to build a story. You can't just be another person. You have to have that narrative so that when you do get someone's attention, um, and by the way, word of mouth works wonders. Uh, in advertising, we used to snarkily say that word of mouth is the best form of advertising, always has been the best form of advertising. But uh, it was snarky because we knew darn well that there was no, there were no metrics there. We couldn't, at that time anyway, um, put numbers to people's conversations in, you know, in the in the office kitchen or. Uh, what women were saying in the parking lots or across the fence from one another. These days, they put all that online, and we can uh, put metrics against those. So that data now has become very important, and word of mouth is in incredibly important. And so it's not just what we're spinning out there for people to pick up, but it's what people are talking about. And by the way, there's a great uh, uh, piece that people should know, I think, that comes from one of the PR companies that I'm spacing out on right now, but maybe we can fill it in later. The, uh, the people, things only come rise to your awareness after they, people see it from, or hear about it from five different places. So maybe your friend says something, you see something in the news, that's two. Uh, you see an outdoor board, that's three. You uh, read something or find something on Facebook, that's four. And then you, uh, you see an ad <laughs> or something. Yeah. So that's, that'll, that'd be five, okay? Or maybe another friend says something or you see something on Twitter, okay? Or Snapchat. And so, but only then does something, uh, um, are we aware of, of something, uh, whether it's a new movie or a, a new kind of yogurt or whatever that is, or a new um, community organization. And so thinking about that, that starts to 
have ramifications in how you activate these pieces of what we call code and where they go. So you can, you might think about having the creation story in one place and the creed or whatever in the, another and what you're not never want to become in someplace else. And so that you're able to tell your complete story because what those seven things do is they are, they really ping the emotional touch points you have and, and, and also the things that we are hardwired, um, that our brains need to, to have something just make sense. Mm-hmm. And icons, icons, for example, tell us whether we are safe or in danger. You know, sounds and smells, certainly. And uh, if we, we see a tiger coming running at us, we know that we need to do something. Yeah. And so the, we need to respond, right? And so understanding that this is sort of a multidimensional framework that seems very simple, seven things, but there are, it's very multidimensional and there's a lot at stake. And so those organizations that are able to pull this narrative together uh, about here's how we started, here's what we believe in, what we're about, uh, here's what represents us, here's the way we act, this is the way we act, this is the way we talk about what we do, this is what we surely don't want to become and uh, we let other people do that. And then here's the leadership team. Once you're able to pull all that together, you just uh, make sense to people. You have people, um, you know, nod rather than become confused. And so I want to move on to... Confused don't buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to move on to, obviously, building familiarity with, uh, with an audience matters, but... There's another ingredient here that I don't hear a lot about. Um, if you're talking about the believers, non-believers, or pagans, um, you know, the, the different language. Can you talk a bit about that in the context of the nonprofit sector? How do I go about this? Um, and how do I do it in a way that's, like, not antagonizing? You know, you brought up, frankly, Trump before, and it's very clear what the pagan believer, non-believer segments are there. Um can you talk a bit more about how you, you evolve that and define that? Sure. The, in, the, in the most simplistic form, they're the competition. And it's Mac versus PC. It's Coke versus Pepsi. It's um, um, you know, Snapchat versus Facebook, maybe, or whatever, whoever else is looking for your time at that moment. And, uh, but I'll tell you one thing. One of the things is that it's a great way of figuring out who you are. And uh, because if you can identify those people who are not, that, that, you, that you do not want to become, who are not a part of your community or tribe, uh, you can, it helps you backtrack into who, who you are. So we're not this, uh, oh, we never want to become that, uh, helps you backtrack into who you are and what you really do want to do and what you do really do want to accomplish. A lot of people try to take on too much and it's better to simplify your story anyway, even if you down the road want to, you, you envision so much more. But uh, that's one way of doing it. We don't call things pagans anymore. We were called out on that uh, by oh, someone in... We don't uh, do that. Okay. <laughs> by, by someone in Australia, of all places. But, the, um, but it is in marketing and so forth, we tend to think, oh, this is such a great idea that once everyone uh, becomes aware of it, of course they're going to want to buy it. And if we just tell them about more about it uh, and increase the frequency and increase the awareness and put more, spend more money, right? 
uh, like Coca-Cola spending a billion dollars. Yeah, so I want, to dial, fact, I want to dial us in yeah. a little bit more on that, right? So differentiation yeah. is kind of like the believer non-believers using that parlance. Uh, but it's tough. Yeah. If I'm a breast cancer organization, I can't make an enemy of Susan G. Komen. I can't be like, oh, they're evil or they're doing it the bad no, way. No, no, no. Yep. How do of I think – how do yep. I reframe? How do I reframe believe or not believe? Well, that would be one of the – that would be one of the things we wouldn't want to do <laughs> fall into that camp. Um, so you have to find out what, uh, what you really, really are about. And um, there are all kinds of ways after, for going after that problem. There are all kinds of ways. I mean, maybe there's a, a different problem, a same but different problem that you uh, or way to approach it. Um, there are all kinds of abuse and so forth as well child abuse, sexual abuse, and so forth. Um, there are many forms of cancer, and, and um, it's difficult to respond to that, really, without knowing yeah, what... the case example. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, the example is. But I've worked with the American Cancer Society and some other organizations like that, and the so you um, tilt it or reframe it um, in the way that best suits you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also interesting going back to the, the Coke versus Pepsi. You know, you're like, oh, my gosh, what total polar opposites. We're talking about the same damn sugary drink. And if yeah. we can have, like, yeah. basically believers, non-believers of a stupid sugary drink, you can certainly figure it out in your sector. Uh, well, I think so. Or maybe um, maybe you focus on not uh, solving ca- cancer, the research, but you work on hospice care or you're working on technology or you're working on you know other solutions or yeah so it seems like in the nonprofit sector we end up with more the the believer we are the believers this is how we define the believers framework and sort of passively let it be in terms of the non-believers people that don't uh think that there can be a cure people that don't believe that uh you know there's an end for domestic violence or or, or something to that effect uh, we are filled with believers Right. Actually, yeah. we're filled with zealots, not just believers, but zealots. And yeah. people believe, believe very strongly because they have uh, many times they have some kind of personal connection uh, to the problem, you know, whether it's cancer that you mentioned or whether it's uh, uh, abuse of any kind or, you know, any of the other um, opportunities that are out there. I mean, yeah. there are dozens so... of them. As before we get to the rapid fire round, and then at the end, I do want you to talk a bit about Thinktopia. Before we get to the rapid fire round, I'm curious, you know, you've worked with many different organizations and also not-for-profits. What are, you know, some of the wins or upsides when it comes to the impact of when a brand gets this right um, in the context of primal branding and checking these boxes? Are there any stories or case studies or sort of metrics you have to throw at this? Uh, yes, there are some metrics and so forth. I can't really get into that. But one of the things that I was thinking about when, uh, as we were talking or remembered, is I think this is true, that I did the first public service spot for child abuse on MTV, the first public uh, service spot on MTV. And we used um, Tom Waits, and it was for verbal abuse, and um, it just increased awareness of the problem. And at that time, no one was talking about really talking about child abuse at all and um but you see where we're where we've come since then and the so what primal brain what this process or methodology or construct heuristic whatever you want to call it and it's been called all of those things um 
does is that these things become tools so you can work yourself um, through the pro through all of those pieces of code and figure those out and I'm sure people who've been listening have been going, oh, yeah, we have that, and we have that, yeah. but I don't know what that would be. And so the big brands, the most powerful brands, have all of those things. And, you know, democracy has all of those things. Climate change has all of those things and so forth. And the, so the ability to pull that story together um, is crucial and fundamental. And it's also uh, the superstructure that helps pull your brand community together because once you lay down a belief system you attract those who share your beliefs and nowhere is that more fundamentally um, possible and important than in nonprofit organizations or and the work that they do right and so people are committed uh, you know work 24 7 eight days a week in order to get some of these things done they're donating time when they could be you know at home with their families et cetera, et cetera. so there are a lot of committed people and to help keep them not only keep them motivated because a lot of them are so self-motivated but to keep the the dream alive it's great to have these things in place and to remember that they need to be resonant and it's not just enough to just identify them but they have to be tweaked from time to time and a lot of time when organizations become kind of old and stale and you know maybe lose their some of their funding etc or don't seem as relevant as they once used to uh, the reason is is that they've let some of these things get a little bit dusty rusty tired and um, and that's a part of the bell curve, right? We we were successful for a while. We're at the peak. We're the hot thing, and everyone wants us. And then after a while, we lose touch a little bit. And so when we work with 100-year-old, and, and they start to go away, they start to fade. So we work with a lot of 100-year-old brands at Crafts, Levi's, and so forth, Johnson Johnson. And one of the things we do is we identify, okay, where would you guys come from? You know, what are you about? Yeah. You know, what's your creative icons, et cetera. And we go list them. And sometimes those need to be refreshed. Sometimes that's uh, often someone's in the midst of re- redoing a logo <laughs> or packaging. Um, and how do you fit into, day, into today's world that is so rapidly changing? You know, how to, in, in modern times and not now, it's really refit retrofitting or re-engineering it so that it's not um, uh, it's been attractive for baby boomers how do we make it um, part of the consciousness of millennials Mm -hmm. and gen z right so things need to be changed so we are did that answer the question george (laughs) we definitely not sure dude we wandered (laughs) we wandered around the answer enough that people should get it People should yeah, get okay. it. I think what I'm what I'm taking away from that is the the clearly defined elements of a brand. The more you're able to 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 make sure you're doing things right, there's an immutable law it seems of the universe that will help you attract the humans that self-identify with that, and then your community grows, and then you certainly are able to to see those types of results. So it's 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 very helpful, I think, as uh, you know that uh, that framework. But I want to move into our rapid fire section. Go go already. Uh, what is coming in the upcoming year that you are most excited about? Uh, 
we have a primal two things where we have a primal branding certification course that we just launched two weeks ago. We're excited about that. And then uh, we're thinking about um, building deep belief networks. Next. All righty. Talk about a mistake you've made in your career that has shaped how you do things. Oh, I stayed employed by someone else for too long. And uh, I've had um, much more satisfaction both on the job and as a human being um, doing my own thing. Do Should have started that much earlier. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Go out of business? Yes. Um, yes, they can go out of business. Successfully, though. What does that mean? So, for example, March of Dimes curing the the disease they set out to do or, you know, ending poverty, should that be our mission? Or cancer, should that be your mission? Oh, uh, I hope so. What is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? Hmm. Second guessing people. Second guessing people. And finally, if you had a Harry Potter type wand that you could wave over the nonprofit industry, what would it do? Well, the United Nations, who we've worked with, has, uh, I think it's 17 sustainable um, endeavors from poverty to illiteracy to um, other things um, that are the the big problems that are facing the planet. Uh, I would cure or eradicate uh, those All right. with a magic, if I had a magic, Ma- magic wand. wand and f- just go straight to the problem on the millennium development goals. Uh, and just for fun, if you could jump in a hot tub time machine and go back uh, to when you were just maybe about to write the book, uh, what advice would you give yourself? Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Despite what you think. Hey, Patrick, thank you so much, man, for being on, uh, speaking to our audience about this topic. Uh, final question for you. How do people find you? How do people help you? Oh, uh, they can find us on thinktopia.com. I'm also, I also write for Forbes, uh, but uh, there's also, a pri- and there's more importantly, I guess, for this discussion, there's a, a primal branding on uh, Facebook that if you come in and ask to join, we'll let you in. And what was your second question? Oh, how do people help you? In, in so many ways, we'd have to have another podcast. <laughs> so many ways. Well, I know they can certainly get in touch with you on Thinktopia. You offer services there that will help uh, folks walk through this process. Obviously, it's well-baked and well-tested. So I know that is certainly one way that you wouldn't say no to. That's true. <laughs> and, but it's mostly how, how can we help them. That's where we lean. I love it, Patrick. Again, thanks for joining us and take care. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you found this as informative as I did. I think it helps with some of the the soft science when it comes to really getting to the essence of your brand and distilling it into what it really means to have uh, a brand that's going to resonate and grow. Learning from you know everyone who's you know in the form profit sector selling everything from coffee to coke to mattresses to now our our own brands that are are trying to build up more people joining to the cause, more people trying to change things in the world that should be. And, you know, 
go through those elements and, and sort of check those boxes and say, all right, how are we doing on these different elements? Uh, maybe you uh, aren't struggling with creed, but you are with uh, how you define believers. I think there's a lot of opportunity also to, to think about how you're strategically using rituals. So no shortage of homework, as always, from our guest today. Episode resources will be available. This is episode number 69. You can find that at wholewhale.com slash podcast. As always, thanks for joining us. Take care. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today's music brought to you by the one and only Greg Thomas. GregThomasMusic.org. This guy's phenomenal. And uh, if there's a jingle in your head or a tune and a song in your heart, he'll find it and put it to put it to paper, well, at least to digital paper, and help you add a bit more narrative to any sort of video or work you're doing. 